Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Stackability AI. I'm your host, Austin Cornelio, joined here with my co-host, Mike Taylor. How's it going today, oh, Mike? Oh, man. Big week in AI yet again. It's, uh, it's, wild, how, yeah, <laughs> it's wild how fast things are going. Um, breakneck speeds. Yeah, for sure. Uh, last, last episode, we dove into the specifics around what's happening over at OpenAI. You know, just for a, a quick summary, there was some turbulence. Um, Sam Altman, he was fired. There was some some sort of unknown conflict on the board. It looks like there was some sort of trust issue. So we're not going to go into that whole thing. We can just kind of touch on it. There, there is like some a small um, update, I guess that's somewhat interesting, but definitely bigger things to talk about. And it was kind of funny because. I think um, we made a prediction at the end of the episode, if you're listening to the last one, and essentially we're trying to guess what would happen here at the end. And what happened was Sam left, he went to Microsoft for like a hot second, and 700 of the OpenAI employees essentially said they were going to quit if Sam didn't, Sam didn't come back. And I made a prediction saying that OpenAI was going to you know, basically drown and, and implode if the employees ended up following Sam. So obviously that didn't happen. And now, you know, this is, this is, this is basically it. <laughs> um, haven't heard a peep since, which is kind of, kind of interesting. Um, you know, to me, there's been some erosion of trust, which is kind of like the topic. Um, I think that's, that's worth zoning in on, you know, like this is arguably the most important tech company right now on the planet with as much attention as you could possibly even want. And to me, I, I would hope that we have more responsible adults in the room here. Like, you know, like I, I've had my own startup before, like this sort of drama happens, but it's a little bit different when you have the likes of Sam Altman and you have reputable board members and you have Microsoft, you have all these like high level players at the table this sort of thing should be completely avoided. And you're talking about your whole mission statement being safe AGI, which, which it is now they've gone from being an, an AI company to a safe AGI company. You know, I think that you need to act accordingly. So, you know, keep your eyes on it. It's something to be aware of. Well, there's some, there's some um, interesting things that, uh, you know, we talked about in the last um, podcast about how it was a strange structure and how Microsoft didn't even have a seat at the board. But now after this um, little upheaval, uh, they do now have a seat at the board. It's a non-voting seat. I guess it's considered an observational seat. And um, the board itself seems to be in a strange place because it looks like there's some, you know, older um, statesmen and different types of it's, it's kind of looking more like a regular board of directors rather than you know, the, the high tech um, version that uh, was there um, at their anniversary. I mean, it's, it's really wild to think that they've been around. It's been a year since uh, you know, they, this broke um, for the company. And it's like in, you know, just at the end of the, the one year anniversary, it's like, you know, a little bit of chaos. And, and now we've, uh, got a new board and you know sam's back in charge and we don't know what's happening with uh you know their their chief science officer who was part of the revolt but also uh regretted it you know so 
It's a, uh, I think you're right, Austin, the key, the key on the, the trust issue. You know, it's one of those things where with any relationship, uh, whether it's business or, or personal, once there's a, a, a trust that's missing, um, that, that'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Because, you know, from a technology perspective, it's still clearly the leader um, in AI right now. And, you know, the users, the end users, I mean, for, for me, it was, it was, <laughs> it stunk because it had gotten so much press that everybody who didn't even know what AI was started going on to chat GBT. And I was getting a lot of timing out errors and things that were, you know, not what was happening the week before. So, you know, I've made the analogy that it's like, right. a, this could be like a new Coke moment for open AI where, you know, they have some, you know, bad controversy. Um, but in, at the end, they're coming out on top. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, it's it's very strange. But back to the board comment, I think one, so there was a, a kind of a board shakeup for sure. And some people left, um, some new people joined. So I think an interesting addition to the board was this gentleman, Lawrence Summers. He is an American economist. He's he's an older gentleman. He he's done a he's done a bunch um, in tech. He used to work for Harvard. He had a spot at Harvard um, as a chief chief economist um, economist. Sorry, of the World Bank. Yeah, from ninety one to ninety three. So he's an interesting person because he has he has the political connections seemingly, and to put this sort of person on the board after. All that has happened and the lack of, of regulation and just like the failure to be quick enough to regulate. So now you're going to put someone like this on the board. I don't know. It's um, I guess it's not surprising at all. <laughs> but you, you have to question, you know, all of all of this stuff, really. But, you know, that's the latest on the on the open AI front. Um, segwaying into something else here. Uh, so there was a. Um, a story that hit the news back in October. And essentially there's a small town in New Jersey where some high school kids deep faked some other female students at the school with some deep fake pornography. And it was like this whole thing. It made the news. And I think it highlights a very like important thing here. And it also draws back to some of the, the points that we're making on other podcasts that we've done other episodes where we talk about regulation and the lack of regulation and like what you can do. So there is an interesting article in the MIT Technology Review that I read today, and they were resurfacing this story. But what was really cool about it is they inter they interviewed one of the victims, and she was talking about the whole thing. And she's like, "Hey, you know, I didn't know anything about AI. I didn't I didn't really think it was dangerous. The lack of awareness was just completely, you know, just non-existent awareness around what AI is, what it can what it can possibly do, how it can harm." you know, someone like a 15 year old girl. So the, um, the technology review was interviewing this person and she outlined her whole experience is horrible. But one of the cool things I thought about, you know, reading this and what she did is she made this website, um, called AI help, uh, has three E's. We can link it in, in the description here for those of you who want to see it, but it, it further reinforces the point that I've made on the podcast that people like the government isn't going to regulate this anytime soon. You know, corporations are going to act in their own interest, self-interest, and they're going to do what they need to do because every tech company that is doing anything with AI right now is in an arms race. So 
they're not going to care like about hurting anybody. And, you know, I, I don't see anybody really acting in a, in a positive way in terms of like protecting society from this, even though they're saying it's one thing to say, it's like another thing to do. It's like the classic expression, right? This, this um, young woman went out, made this website. I think everybody should check it out. I think it's great. And the point is, is unfortunately, I think everybody's going to have to be armed with the ability to do this because it's the only way that these sort of episodes are going to get surfaced to the public in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this, you know, this is a good topic. It's you know, unfortunate that this happened, but it was almost inevitable that it was going to happen. And the fact that these, you know, kids who are, you know, teenagers can go ahead and, you know, take a photograph of their, you know, student peers and then turn it into pornography is, is, you know, <laughs> again, inevitable um, when you're dealing with, you know, teenage, teenage boys are going to try and, you know, come up with whatever um, <laughs> spankable things that they could come up with. But like this violates like not only you know, the privacy and all of these things that are obvious, but it's, it's, it's also showing the power of, you know, what we talked about in our first episode uh, or second episode about what is, what the AI is capable of now. Right. So if you can take a photograph of somebody and then, you know, throw a body on them that looks somewhat similar to them and then have them do whatever um, it's, it's a problem for, actors and actresses it's a problem for society as a whole because how are we going to know what's real versus what's not anymore i think that that's a a larger yeah. a larger issue is and it's going to affect you know every part of it i i also saw an article about people who you know they, they answer the phone and if they answer say a couple of words that now they could take your intonation and and recreate your voice and then they were having people calling parents and saying that they kidnapped a daughter and they have to give them $10,000. And meanwhile, the daughter wasn't kidnapped, but you know, they don't know that. And they, you know, these people are being duped um, by using the, you know, the voice of a, of a child and, you know, obviously getting a, a quick reaction, but you know, that's another thing to be wary of. That's not necessarily as, I mean, it's just as bad, I guess, you know, there's no making one better than the other. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's been happening for a while. And I definitely noticed an uptick in in calls where you you would pick up the line and, you know, no one would say anything. You'd be like, hello, hello. But they're obviously farming your voice. Right. So one thing that I do, and it's a simple thing that everybody can do, is just block it. Right. And I was getting a lot of these and I started blocking them, reporting them as as um, spam, as as, you know, robocalls, whatever. And they have decreased. So it's like a simple thing that everybody can do because they're definitely trying. Someone, there's definitely a hacker on the other end of that line. So these are the things that if you're not paying attention to what's happening in AI, these are things that you could easily fall for. I mean, I know if, you know, who, my parents answer every phone call, you know, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're going to answer things and they would be very susceptible if somebody said that they kidnapped, you know, their granddaughter and, you know, wanted to, you know, 10,000 bucks, you know, and it's like, how do you protect yourself from that? And how do you protect the people who are a little more vulnerable than we are, where we're, you know, we kind of have a, a leery eye when 
phone calls we don't recognize or phone numbers that we don't recognize are coming up. We're not just answering it. And if we do answer it and we don't hear anything, we hang up right away and then block the number. But people who aren't as savvy to this stuff, like this girl who, you know, was in the article, you know, she knew nothing about AI. Um, and I think most of the planet is still that way. Yeah, unfortunately. And the phone, the phone call example, the voice harvesting example is also like bad in another way because everybody like before this phenomenon, there was tons of spamming going on. You get to a point where you're just not answering the phone at all. Like you don't pick a, you don't pick up any of these calls and it screwed me a few times because like my kids school will call me. They've, this has happened three times where they've called me and I don't recognize the number and I just, I just ignore it. And then I get a voicemail being like, hey, I need you to come get your son or something like imagine if something really bad happens. So, you know, it's 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 like a cancerous disease. Yeah, well, yeah it's like definitely put the school phone numbers in your phone, kids. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think that this is the tip of the iceberg, you know, the way that people are going to be able to fake things. And, you know, if somebody calls or, you know, records the call who knows who knows what they can do i mean we know we played around with that uh translator um apps the ai translators and it's it's basically real-time translation where it keeps the even the intonations of your voice but it sounds you know perfectly fine in another language and so if they're able to do that real-time translations uh you know who knows what they're going to be capable of you know a year from now yeah, exactly. It's very fast paced. So listeners might be asking like, so what does this have to do with business? Like, yeah, we, a lot of you have probably heard this. If you say it on the news here in terms of AI news, et cetera, like this isn't, this isn't new by any means, but I guess there's an underlying thread here. It applies just to awareness. So I would like to ask you now, Mike, what, so if we can pivot the conversation into something more positive and, and beneficial for people that are still trying, you know, to implement AI in their business. Have you have you come across any new strategies, tools, et cetera, that you might want to talk about that you've used in some of your own projects lately? Yeah. So there there are a lot of um AI. I guess they called AI, but it's not really AI. They're just basically workflow tools. So there's, you know, the the things that we've used um, with the podcast where it'll automatically transcribe everything that's said, allow you to edit that on the fly. And this is good for works for video and for um, audio alone. And I always noticed that, that when I was watching video clips and they were cut up and you could see like there wasn't much of a thing, but there were these little, little, little cuts. And I never really understood how that was being done. But when you use um, some of these AI tools now, it'll go through, pull out all the ums and then match up the video directly with the audio. Um, so it, it's doing these things that usually take hours and hours of time to do to edit. So that's one of the tools I thought was really cool. And, you know, we, we try to use it here, but, it you know, it's not quite ready for prime time as far as what our you know, level of wanting to, you know, implement a tool like that. But I think that's yeah. something that um, more and more will be implemented going forward. And then um, I've also come across some workflow tools in from a sales process perspective. So 
there's a, a company called uh, Woo Sender, and they basically handle all of the initial conversations with the person. So for instance, you have an Instagram account, you set up uh, an ad for your product. Uh, if you want more information, click here, fill out this, you fill out your phone number and your email address, and then you hit submit and you know, 30 seconds or less, I got a text message from somebody who's like, his name is Larry and Larry is going to, uh, wants to set up a demo for me. And then, so I click on the link and it creates a, you know, his available times. I give, I pick a time that works for me. I get an email confirmation immediately that the, 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 the person's meet the meeting is set up and then I get a reminder and I get a, you know, a, another reminder five minutes before the call. And all of that stuff is done automatically that Larry never has to touch anything. So those, you know, that workflow, the initial workflow of getting to a prospect and having that prospect engage um, immediately, because we know when the faster you get engaged, the, the more likely the person is going to buy. Because right now I just clicked I'm interested. And that's the prime time to talk to me, right? So, so that process, you know, went, I went through the whole process and then, you know, for, since that meeting, now I've been, I still get follow-up text messages and follow-up messages saying, Hey, are you ready to sign up? Are you ready to do this? Is there something we can do that would, you know, change your perspective? And, you know, the, I know all of this is done by, you know, this, this system. Um, and I could see how it could be, you know, hugely effective depending on what, type of business you're in but if you're selling products one at a time it's a it could be a very useful tool yeah for sure that's a good use case i definitely echo this sentiment around coming up with an efficient workflow just to do this podcast right we've we've tried a couple different you know experiments here in terms of of orchestrating this thing and that is directly applied to to really any kind of content creator. I mean, if we had a business that we were supporting with this as well, with this content, you know, it would be really even probably more important. So thanks for mentioning those tools. I think those are good ones. What about you? Do you come across any? Yeah. So I've been doing a lot of, um, there's two really. So, um, I've been doing a lot of video editing recently, and this has been part of Adobe Premiere for a while, but it made me think about it when you mentioned the the audio syncing to video or just audio syncing in general. It's really cool. So say you're recording, you know, yourself, you're you're making a vlog, you're recording anything, and say you're you're recording it via a, a iPad or a phone, which are really awesome. These days the cameras are amazing. And I just shot a whole short film with two Apple products, um, one iPhone 14 Pro, and then the other was an iPad 11 Pro, both with similar cameras. So with proper lighting and an external boom mic and a really good zoom recorder, you can, the sky is honestly the limits, but what was really good is I came up with a really easy way to nail the sound. And essentially you have the, the, the scratch track, excuse me, coming from the audio of the devices but then you're running lapel mics and a boom mic to, to mic your, your actors and actresses. And then when you are doing your edit in Adobe Premiere, there's a couple different ways that the, that the program can sync the audio. So what's cool about it is it uses the reference track 
from the embedded video. So when you shoot, you're going to have audio and video, and then you have your external video as well. And you sync it all together because it looks at the waveform that is part of the video because that has embedded audio. And then it says, okay, it looks through all of the other audio that you have part of that you have part of the, um, your bin. And then it makes a sequence with that external video perfectly sunk to uh, external audio perfectly in sync, you know, with the video. And it's amazing because I remember back in the day, you'd have to have like, like a loud noise to spike the waveform. And then you'd have to use that as a reference, but it's super cool. And it's, it's like those sort of things. It's just like another example of how AI is so beneficial to the creator community. And like, now you don't have to worry about pulling your hair out, syncing something. You can just sync it. You know, you have good audio cause you had a good input, right. And your audio is already clean. So you just go for it. And then, you know, you can just continue on your way being creative. So that's awesome. Um, that was, that was a, yeah, cool thing. Um, another one makes me think about, you know, your whole idea around, you know, or, or thoughts around doing this podcast and self-promotion always coming back to the creator thing so we have this mutual friend um ryan who just made this tool maple it's an ai sales coach so give him a little plug here i think that's a pretty cool tool and that goes that goes hand in hand with really everything you just said about trying to promote so you're, you're, you're making content but now like you're almost this solo business in a lot of ways which you are not almost for sure like it's going to be a new thing where all of these tools has really lowered the bar to entry, but you're not a very good salesperson. So now you can use tools like the lakes of, of maple.coach and it can help you become a better salesperson. So you just layer a few of these tools onto each other and you're good to go. Um, is it easy? No, hundred percent not because you actually have to be like a good strategic, smart person with like a good idea and a good product, but like all these things where you'd have to like hire other people to do, is now becoming much less. Yeah. I mean, he was telling me that, you know, he you know built this on his own where, you know, the previous company that he had started and sold, you know, he had you know, teams of people to do what he was able to do, right. you know, in, in a month, he was able to build it. And, uh, you know, it's a great framework in terms of using a, a coaching tool like maple.coach it's really interesting because I've been in sales for a really long time. So I was able to go through it and kind of understand the way that it was asking the right questions to understand what my product would be. Right. And so you get to, it gets to kind of customize the responses and your training to the product that you're trying to sell. And so if it's not a very complex sale, if it's not one of these, six month relationship sales, it could be hugely beneficial to somebody starting out who doesn't know anything about sales because it'll give you a process to follow. It's a, a, I believe it's 16 or 17 steps that it'll take you through the entire sales process. And if you've never done sales, it's something that would be amazing for you to you to do. So um, that's a, uh, it's a cool, definitely a good plug uh, for Ryan. And uh, I think that uh, it's, it's, you know, you should check it out. Yeah, for sure. Good work, Ryan. I know that I, I plan on spending some time with it for sure. I was part of the beta testing team on it. And, um, you know, I think it's highly topical for, for 
the uh, revolution that we're <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, here. think about it, Austin. So. Like you said, you can create a any product you want with very little effort. I mean, there's a product out I saw that where you could draw um, something and it'll write the pr- underlying programming for whatever you're trying to draw. So you can literally use your draw out and create a product. Great. You know, you can go through and do some yeah. testing, um, maybe give it to your friend who knows about code, who can then throw it through, you know, an LLM or one of these other, you know, code specific types of tools. And then you have a product. And then now what? <laughs> you know, so, you know, the, the biggest thing that, you know, the, the biggest gap and why I've had a career is because there's people who are very technically capable of creating things and then they're but they're very rarely also have the the soft skills to be able to sell the product well i think that's key i think i think you guys nailed the secret sauce right so i i'm still not 100 percent convinced in the pure no code like i think it's okay for 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 a lot of people for sure i've i've tried it a few times i'm an engineer i don't need it but there is there is like a a benefit to being able to rapidly prototype something. I, I tried Bubble, which is a no-code platform, and like I was immediately frustrated with the with the UI of it, and and it just felt like really clunky. I think that there's, to me, you know, better ways, but that's completely obviously a situational thing. So we just leave it at that, it's, you know. Um, but but yeah. I, I think that there's there's intermediate steps, if you will, or there's a combination of different tools that will get you there. I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's never going to be easy. If anything, I think it's going to become harder in some ways because now it's going to be similar to what it was like to create music very easily by yourself in your bedroom, which was completely proliferated, you know, like a few years ago with technology and the 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 just ease of recording and making music cool now everyone's making music everyone's putting stuff on spotify like the whole thing is super easy but now it's become exponentially harder to get good music into people's ears unless you have a hardcore persistent mechanism that is promoting this stuff so it yes the bar of entry is lowered from a technical standpoint but then it's increased probably tenfold on the other end because everyone can do it. And the same exact thing is going to happen, you know, with, with product and, 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 and building software and all this stuff, because you're going to see the same thing happen. So I think the, the biggest takeaway to this whole thing, what we're talking about right here is become really good at internet marketing. That is going to be the key assuming you have a good product that has a lot of value. Yeah. And uh, to your point about the, everybody being a musician, there's actually a website. It was like never been heard or something like that, where they actually have a listing a playlist of songs that have never been listened to on Spotify. Yeah. They've never been heard. So I mean, I, I, I love it. I love the idea of it. And I went and I listened to it and you know, there's a reason why they haven't been heard uh, for the most part, but I'm sure there's a couple of gems in there, but to your point, there is a, a tremendous amount every week every day i'm getting newsletters that are you know here's the new product and i have like four different newsletters that i get and all of them will have a list of seven to ten new products 
that seem to be coming out daily. So how do you how yeah, do you get over exactly. it? And then and also I, I'll get a renewal reminder, you know, to your point you made earlier, Austin, about like this AI thing. It's like we sign up like, sure, I'll sign up. Yeah, sure. A dollar a month, five dollars a month here, you know, and all of a sudden you're adding one hundred dollars a month to your you know, subscriptions um, for all these tools. And you know, some, I don't even remember what some of them were for you know, what their product is after start no, exactly. over just to go look at what is that? Um, what does that product do? Uh, so it's really, uh, yeah, you gotta pay the, gotta pay the open AI bills. I was, <laughs> I saw this meme the other day on, on, uh, LinkedIn, not sure if you've seen it, but it was a meme. And this woman was saying like, Hey, I, I built this AI company. And then the dude on the other end of the meme is like, okay, fine. Tell me about it. And it's like, oh, he's like, let me guess, OpenAI. And, and, and she's like, yeah, you know, we have X amount of users. And then the guy's like, okay, so let me guess, your, your, your cost to run it is like $7 million and you're taking in like 600000 right. yeah. or something like this. It's because it's so, it's so expensive to, to use the OpenAI API at that scale. So, you know, another thing to be mindful of, you're going to build any app that harnesses the power of OpenAI's APIs. For example, you should you should do some calculations on what that's going to look like if and when you get to even a moderate scale. Because what you'll what you'll see is their business model is very much tuned and in line with tokens and the amount of input and output that's happening. It can become become expensive quickly so it'll it'll be interesting to see how a lot of these products play out i, I would anticipate that they're not going to be a lot around for that long unless they have pretty smart strategies in terms of you know how they cache the data i don't even know like i'm sure that you know i've read things uh, around if you if you have output from the gpt if you put it in your own database and then optimize the queries if there's likewise queries coming in, so you don't have to make another query to the API, hence saving you money sort of thing. So these are like the strategies you have to think about, right? Which is beyond, I mean, it's engineering focus for sure, but there's also like real strategic place here that need to be thought of. Yeah, I mean, you could really get yourself in a bind if you create a product that gets some traction and you haven't calculated or priced it properly to um, you know, make up for the, the volume that you're going to be using um, one of these LLMs for, uh, and it does seem like there's just a bunch of wrappers outside of that people are just, you know, putting a, a different face on, you know, open AI or chat GPT and, uh, calling it a new product, but it's basically the, the same thing. And uh, I think that, you know, we're going to get to a place where people are going to have their own custom versions of these things and you'll have your own, you know, assistant um, that will be able to do things specifically for you that you're interested in, maybe use your data, your personal information. You know, I think about it from a writing perspective. You know, I if I took, you know, all the scripts that I've written and all the essays I've written and then have whether or not this could, you know, pump out a script in a couple of minutes based on some prompts or, you know, maybe an outline. And it'll give me, you know, the 90 page script and now I could go through and, you know, edit the dialogue and fix the dialogue and probably be surprised by some of the dialogue. Um, that that would be pretty cool to be able to crank out a, a script in a week instead of having it take, you know, 
three months to a year. Um, for sure. For sure. But then at least then it would have proprietary, yeah. ha- would have my voice, you know, the, my writing style, my, you know, thing. But I wouldn't want that to be public. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want to, you know, <laughs> upload it well, to ChatGPT now without having, you know, some kind of control over it. Yeah. So, so custom GPTs are cool, but then you have that problem. Like it's going into an open AI model, which is closed AI for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's nothing open about it. Um, so, but however, there's an alternative to that. And the alternative is an open source model. It's way more technical because you, you as individual will have to be able to train the model, but you can get an open source model from like Hugging Chat or any of these places who are providing open source models and you train that and then you have full control over it. But the problem there for a lot of people is they're not technical and to train that model and implement that whole thing is, is going to come at a cost. So that's your, that's your option, you know? Yeah. And I think with um, some of these things, just being able to transcribe your voice into text so easily that you could probably just speak it out <laughs> instead of, you know, instead of writing yeah. it, you know, you just walk through a dialogue of a scene and, and then it'll translate it for you and then put it in format. But uh, yeah, it's a, uh, there's a lot of these tools and I wonder which ones will you know be around in six months and which ones will just get gobbled up or just fall away um, as the, uh, the, the fervor, you know, the, the fever pitch, wears off you know yeah well we'll be talking about it here maybe maybe to to wrap this episode an interesting thing to think about is maybe we'll have an r.i.p section <laughs> you know at, at every conclusion of the of the episode and when you know we talk about all of the tools that have gone into the uh ai void yeah, I, right? I mean i literally had a a toolbar set up in my chrome that I was storing everything in and every new product I saw. And then all of a sudden I was like, originally it started out, it was just everything AI. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I can't. So now I had to subcategorize it. So then it was like, now I have like 10 categories and each folder in those categories was packed to the rim. And I would just click on one of them randomly and the, the website's gone. You know, <laughs> it's just, yeah, they're just not even, they're not yeah. even there. You there know, you go. <laughs> <laughs> gone as quickly as they arrived. Um, so it's really uh, fast yeah. and furious. It's exciting. Um, some of the things you know we talked about earlier are a little scary in terms of you know people being careful uh, and having a place to possibly regulate this or have some information so that people can protect themselves and their families from being you know taken advantage of you know in the situations uh, like that 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 happened at that high school and. You know, it's happening everywhere. You know, very few of these stories are bubbling to the surface yet, but uh, they're out there and people are taking advantage of these opportunities to uh, exploit people, which is. uh, Yep. That's why podcasts and conversations like this are so important. It's because the more the more people that are talking about this, the more individual tribes and, and, you know, people are going to be aware of it. So. To my fellow content creators, keep on making the content, keep on having these conversations, hold people accountable. If something goes wrong in in your life because of any of these technologies and you're able to talk about it, do it. So that being said, feel free to subscribe, 
if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the, um, the, the, the followers are super important. So please follow us and have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.